although I, again, am particularly excited about this uh, sermon because I think it's so applicable to the body of Christ at large, but even more so, extremely applicable for us as a church. And so, if you would, open your ears and most certainly your hearts to Danielle Cho. Hey, good morning, everyone. So I'm really excited to share with you today. And even just now, just watching Liam's video, every time I hear Liam talk, my heart just gets so tender. And I remember the whole reason that we're here, right? I know we all pour so much time into this. We are here at 7 or 8.30 or 9.30, setting up this place, cleaning up until 2, laboring in the house of prayer, showing up again and again. And the whole point of everything that we're doing is that Jesus' name, just like we sang this morning, that his name would be glorified, that he would be magnified in the earth. And when I see Liam, I just see someone who got a vision. He decided that Jesus was worth it, and he sold everything and he left. But when we think about the point, that's why we're here. We're here for a revival in Boston, but not just in Boston. We're here so that we would reach from here all of the nations of the earth so that Jesus would come back. Yeah. That's, that's why we're here, in case you didn't know. So <laughs> that's, that's a plan. But when, when we do that, I think, how are we going to reach the nations of the earth if we can't even get along with one another? If we as Americans have so, much, so, much, so many issues and so much baggage that we're carrying around, how are we going to reach people that are totally different from us? And I think that there is a, a message that God has for us this morning where he wants to speak to us about his heart for diversity. Uh, and my prayer is that we would catch that vision and that we would labor together. And even as I look across this room, I kind of think, do I really need to preach this message? We look so different. But if the standard is just having a diverse group of people, the MBTA would be a very diverse place, right? <laughs> but, but it's not just about looking good together and sitting kind of close to people that are different from you. It's about having a shared vision and a shared goal and a shared language. And that's what I'm hoping that God is going to reveal to us this morning. So uh, we're going to speak, well, I'm going to speak. Um, I'm going to speak about Genesis 11. So I want us to um, open up our Bibles. Well, actually, let me backtrack a little bit. We are going to talk about Genesis 11. We're talking about the story of Babel, and it might be kind of a shocking text in terms of diversity, but hopefully it will make sense. But before we get to that, why diversity? Why are we even talking about this? And I think the important thing here is that when we look at God, he himself exists in diversity. So very beginning, who is God? God is God the Father Jesus and the Holy Spirit. In his self, he's one, right? The Lord our God is one, but yet within him, there is already diversity. There are three people communing. They have different roles, different tasks, and in that diversity, they are also one. So we see God. We're going to start Genesis 11, backtrack to Genesis 1. So we see that in the very beginning, there exists God, and he exists in this diversity, and he starts to create creation, and he projects the same diversity onto everything he makes because he is diverse. He's not going to make this homogenous creation because he has to reflect that fullness of who he is in what he makes. So we're going to look uh, first at Genesis 1, verse 20. And it might not be up there, so you can open up your Bible or your phone to access that. So Genesis 1 verse 20 reads, And God said, 
Let the water teem with living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the vaults of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. So you see that God makes these living creatures in the sea and in the sky. And even just thinking about that, I love that language. They were teeming. There's fullness of life. And God gives even creation this command that they would be fruitful and multiply. And it says in verse 22, And fill the water and let the birds increase. So we see that God is creating this abundant creation which reflects his diversity. And what I find fascinating is that God, I mean, if we go outside and we look at creation, he makes such a diverse creation. For me, it's like if, like the birds. There are actually 10,000 species of birds in the world. Okay, so if you're a bird lover, you might know that. But for me, I could probably name 10 birds. Maybe, maybe 20 on a good day. I was trying to do it, and I, was, I named the hunger birds game, bird as, as, as the mockingjay. I was like, but there's blue jays, there's mockingjay. And I realized that that's not a bird now. So anyway, I, I could not do it. I could not have made 10,000 birds. But we know that God, in his, in his heart, he had this vision for this creation that would be so diverse and so abundant because that's who he is. So, of course, that's, that's what he would make. And even, so he makes creation, right? And it's amazing. But after that, he gets to humans. So God looks to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and he says, let us make man in our image. And Genesis 1, verse 27 reads, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God creates mankind he is in this diverse relationship with himself that's still one. And then he makes male and female. So male and female, we're very different, right? Already there's diversity there. Why could God not just have made men or women? Because just one of those genders wouldn't fully reflect who God is. So God is so infinite, he's so vast, he's beyond our comprehension that we need all of this creation. We need these two genders to get a sense of who God is, right? And in the same way that in marriage, when two become one, there's wholeness. In the same way, those two, male, female, represent who God is, just like he is one and he is whole with his um, triune self. So we have creation. And it doesn't stop there. We have a lot of birds, a lot of trees, a lot of stuff. If you read Genesis 1, you will get that sense. Then we have two genders, and there's diversity. But that's not the end of the story. God sees, and he has this vision for a diverse people. Not just a man and a woman, but God has this vision, kind of like Liam was talking about, all of the nations of the earth. There, there's something that, that, that uh, until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I think in worship we got a bit of a glimpse of that today. But until every single knee and every tongue confesses that, God in his fullness is not fully glorified. There's something in all of us worshiping him together that begins to give him the glory due his name. So that's, that's what he envisions. So he's like, great, I'm going to make this happen. But we see that humans begin to get in the way of this plan. 
So this is the main text for today. So Genesis, one of the main texts. So Genesis 11. So we're going to look at the Tower of Babel. And this is a story that made me kind of uncomfortable as a child because I didn't really understand what was happening. I got, I mean, to me, it sounds like a really good story. They're all working together and they're building a tower. What's so bad about that? But I think that we'll see that there is direct disobedience happening in this passage. So we're going to look at Genesis 11, starting with verse uh, 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So this is right after the times of Noah. God has sent a flood to destroy mankind because there's ever-increasing evil in their heart. So he destroys them, and then he specifically gives Noah a command. He made this command in Genesis 1, and he gives it to Noah again. And we see that this is a problem here. So the problem, if we look in verse... Um, verse 4, what the Babylonians are saying is, then they said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over all the face of the whole earth. And in Hebrew, that's lest, it's like, so that we will not be dispersed. So they do not want to be dispersed. So what is the issue with this? If we go back to Genesis 1, Nine, right after the flood, uh, God gives them a specific command, and he says, Genesis 9, verse 7, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is God's command. And if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, right after God makes Adam and Eve, he says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So that was God's command for humanity, that they would go and fill every corner of the earth. He said it to them again after the flood, go and fill the earth. And we see that the Babylonians here are directly disobeying God. They're building a tower and they're saying, let's build this tower to the sky lest we be scattered. So we see that there's already in our heart this desire for just uniformity, staying where where we're comfortable with the people that we know that speak our same language. So there's direct disobedience. God's heart was that mankind would spread. And actually, a sociolinguist study that if two people who speak the same language, maybe two families, so they can have more people, but two families who speak the language, if they go, they they separate, after three generations, their language will be almost irrecognizable. They won't be able to communicate anymore because it will have evolved. So God's heart was, if you go and you fill the earth, all of these cultures that I desire and that I long for are going to form. 
But instead of that, mankind is saying, no, we're going to stay here and we're going to build a tower. So God, in his mercy, I love that, that he comes down and he scatters them. So he takes them and he scatters them because they're not doing it themselves. So he's going to do it for them because God has a sovereign plan that he wants to accomplish that one day at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. So that's his plan and he's going to make it happen. So that's what's happening in Babel. God is dispersing people so that there will be all of these different nations that come to be. So we're going to go to our next big chunk of scripture this morning, and that is Acts chapter 2. And we, Hilltop, and also just the church, we love Acts 2, right? <laughs> Lots of exciting things happen here, and we're going to talk about them, but also we're going to talk about how this connects to God's heart for diversity. So in a way, Acts, uh, in a way, Babel's is a type of Acts 2. There's some of the same elements. In Babel, there are different, well, no, they're all the same people at that point, but there's these people that are speaking one language, so there's language and there's confusion. And after God comes, he confuses their languages. So there's different tongues and there's confusion. And in Acts 2, we're going to see different tongues as well, but we're going to see how God is using that to accomplish his sovereign will. So let's read Acts 2. I'm going to fast forward from Acts 2, 1 through 4. We'll start at 4 and go from there. So Jesus has ascended into the sky. He's told his disciples, I want you to tarry in the upper room, and my Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And so what we see here is that the Spirit of God has come. And it says in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of the Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So we see that in Babel, they're all in agreement. They're all speaking the same language, but they're using this commonality to disobey the Lord. So we can have one vision and one heart, and it cannot be, God cannot be in it. That's actually what's happening in Babel. They're all in agreement. We're going to build this big tower to the sky, and we're going to reach the heavens. But they're not obeying the Lord. And here, it's actually the opposite. We see that what God does here is that he chooses to, to speak through the disciples in the tongues of the hearers. And I think that that's remarkable because God could have made it so that the hearers could understand the language of the Galileans. That's easier, Holy Spirit. Maybe you just make the people understand Hebrew. But that's not God's heart. God says, I want to encounter you in your own native language, in your own culture, because I made it and because I love it. So when he does this, he gives these people the ability to speak the language of the hearers. How many of you speak another language? Well, 
Let me clarify. That's great, too, but... <laughs> How many of you... Is English not your first language? That's what I meant to say. So for me, it's Spanish. Spanish is my first language. <laughs> if you speak another language, it's great, too. Good job. <laughs> but that's not where I was going. Okay, so... For me, I speak Spanish, and I grew up in a Mexican church, and for a long time, my relationship with God felt like it kind of happened in Spanish. Like when I prayed in Spanish, there was special power, and when I read my Bible in Spanish, it really touched my heart. And even today, there are some songs like Mar uh, Marcos, Sweet, Temprano, Yo Te Buscaré, or La Gloria de Dios. Yes, I'm getting some snaps. <laughs> When I hear those songs, like, I am worshiping the Lord. Like, it is, it is going to happen, right? And I think some of you who raised your hands, maybe for you it's Korean or Mandarin or Yorva, whatever it is for you, maybe you have that same experience where when you, see, when you hear a certain song in your native tongue, it just touches your heart in this special way. And you know what? The Lord made you that way. And he feels the same way about that song. The way that you connect to him, he connects to you. But what's even more powerful is that he doesn't just think, wow, I also love that song. But he loves my song in Spanish and your song in Brazilian and your song in Yorba and your song in Korean because he made all of these languages and cultures. And there's a way in which his heart can only be fully ministered to and fully worshipped when every single culture is connecting with him. So that's what's happening in Acts. God chooses to give the speakers the ability to speak the language of the hearers. We could talk about a connection for missions there or something, but we're not going to go there. So God wants to encounter us in our language. God made creation that we would all, in our, in our diversity, reflect who he is. So unlike Babel, where there's uniformity and there's people working together, that actually doesn't bring him glory. It's when we're worshiping together in our diversity that there's something remarkable happening. So God's heart was always that we would all worship him together. There's a way in which an all, well, that sounds a little tricky, but there's a way in which only Latino people worshiping God or only black people or only white people worshiping God it, that's great, too, but, but it's not the full picture, and, and I think we kind of feel that. When we see diversity, it kind of moves us in this special way. We know there's something special, and I think it's because that reflects God's heart. God designed us that way. He wanted that we would all worship him. What else could unify people in this way but a shared faith? So we're going to look a little bit further in Acts 2. So... Um, for, for a lot of us, when we look, when we look at Acts 2.41, which we love, and I actually don't have this in my notes, so I'm going to open up. When we look at Acts 2 later on, so this happens, people are speaking in different tongues, the hearers are there, I love that it says they're from all of the nations of the earth, and it lists a bunch of towns that I just read, but we're talking about there's the Middle East is there, obviously. There's people from Rome. There's people from parts of Asia. There's people from Africa. The whole world, as it were then, is present, and they're hearing these people speak in tongues, and then what happens? Then Peter gets up, and he preaches a sermon, and then it says, uh, Acts 2, uh, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
So the Holy Spirit comes upon his church, and his very first manifestation is that he gathers all of these nations together. And his first church, we can infer if these people are from all over the nations, these 3,000 must be a very diverse church, which have representatives from all of these nations, because that's God's heart. He wants us all to know him. And then we get to the exciting parts. So Acts 2.42 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And I think that we often talk about this, all things in common, and it makes us so excited. But the beauty there is that they had all things in common, despite the fact that they were so different. So there's... There is a way in which only in the spirit and in our shared faith for Jesus with diversity can we fully begin to understand and to worship God in the way that he was intending us to. So Acts 2, in a way, is the opposite of Babel. We see that people here are united, even though there's so much difference, not even though God intended the difference, there is so much difference, and these people are together in that difference, worshiping God, getting to know him, and expanding his church. So um, so God is the author of culture and diversity. He designed us to be of one accord in this spirit in our difference. And in this way, we begin to reflect who he is. So if you're still not convinced, um, I'm going to take us to the end of the Bible. So we started in Genesis, and now we're going to Revelation. So if you're like, maybe she's not interpreting that well. Um, (laughs) If you're feeling that way, uh, actually, we know that God created race and culture and diversity and that he values it because when we get to heaven... It's there, right? So it's not a part of the curse. It's not this difficult, burdensome thing that we have to talk about again. That's not how God feels about it. God loves it. He created it, and he's passionate, and he's excited about, us, about it. My prayer is that we would kind of be on the same page with him. So if we look at Revelations, um, specifically Revelation 7, It says, uh, verse 9, Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we see that when we get to this scene in heaven, when we are all together worshiping God, that is his intent, right? When we get to heaven, race is not gone, our language is not gone, our culture is not gone. Somehow, in his sovereign will, when we are redeemed people worshiping God in heaven, in our resurrected bodies, we still have language, we still have culture. So if God values language and culture so much that it will be part of his new creation, I hope that we would value it as much as he does. And even later, in the very last chapter of the Bible, we started with page one and we got to page, last page, 
whatever that is in your Bible. So Revelations 21, we get to the new Jerusalem. We have a, a vision of the new earth, new city. And I love that it says, um, I think it's verse 23. Yeah, verse 23 and 24. It says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. So we're in the new Jerusalem where there's no sun because Jesus is the light. And then it says in verse 24, The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. So God's heart all along was that every nation and every tongue would know him and would confess that he is Lord. And when we get to heaven and we are reunited at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we're all sitting there together, we won't just be like see-through resurrected bodies with no culture or language. We will continue to bring that part of ourselves to, to heaven. Because somehow, God in his infinite nature and his vast power that is beyond our comprehension can only, we can, and I want to say fully, but I can't say fully, we can almost fully begin to understand who he is only when there is every nation, every tongue, and we are all there together. And ultimately, I think this is what's powerful and this is what's a testimony to the world, it's like, why are all these people together? What would bring them together on a Sunday morning? And there are other institutions that do it, right? Like college, we all gather together somewhere to go to school. But I think that this is the place that is more powerful because the call is beyond civility. It's beyond just being kind to one another, beyond just sitting next to each other. But it's the call to actually become one. And the great mystery that is that the church and Christ are one. Somehow, we in all of our difference, when we come together, just we, we just give the world a glimpse of who God is. Amen. And I think that's why everyone values diversity. Like I think, I mean, I don't, you know, at least the look of it, right? Like it looks beautiful to all of us. It moves us in some way. And I think that's because it's part of who God is. It's a reflection of his nature. And we like it. We, we want it. But I think that sometimes getting there is the part that's difficult. So my, my prayer for us this morning is that we would catch a vision of God's heart for diversity, that we would get excited about what he's excited about. But also, if I just left here, I think you would all be like, yes, I'm going to go worship in every language, and I'm going to go make international friends, and that's great. You should definitely do that. But I also want to uh, just make you aware that it's very difficult. <laughs> and I think... You already know that if you've been coming to this church or any church or if you have friends, anything really that interacts with other people, you have a sense of how difficult it is to work past difference. And for me, the place where I really began to grapple with diversity was in college. I went to Amherst College with John, Nifemi, and Omar. And when I got there, I was like this naive Texan girl, and I would uh, smile at everyone and like wave, and people would like awkwardly like not acknowledge my existence, which was very weird because in the South you talk to people, you 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 smile, you say hi, and this is before smartphones, so it was even more awkward. You know, you couldn't just pull out your phone. It was just like I'm gonna walk on this side of the sidewalk, so I don't have to say hi. So I got to college, and it was very weird. There was a lot of different cultural things, but even within our fellowship, 
We're a small school, a couple of thousand students. So we have one Christian fellowship. There were not enough of us to have IV, well, we were IV, but to have like campus crusades and navigators and all of these other things to have the black fellowship or the Latino fellowship. We would have had three people in each group. So, <laughs> so we just had one and there were like, you know, 30 to 50, depending on what time of the year it was. Um, so there, there, were, there, there we were, and some of the first people that I met, one of the first people was Nifemi. Um, and I had never met a Nigerian person, I don't think, at that point in my life. And I met John, and he was Korean, and I was like, North Korea, what is Korea? <laughs> I, I wish I didn't say that, because now it's in the recording, but it's okay. I really didn't know. I didn't know, I didn't know about... I don't even know. I, I didn't know any Koreans, any Nigerians. I met Omar, who was Jamaican, and, and we became really good friends while we were in college. And it was something that was very unlikely. We would kind of joke, like, a Korean, a Mexican, and a Nigerian walk into our Christian fellowship. I don't know. <laughs> but, but it was just, it's like, what are we doing? How are we friends? What is, why? Like, why would we, what is there in this friendship? And we were a very unlikely friend group. We came from different, like I said, cultures, obviously, but also socioeconomic levels, regions of the U.S. There was so much difference, but in that difference, there was so much beauty that was formed in our character and in our walk with God. And I think when we don't walk in this diversity, we miss out, you know? So you don't have to do it. But I think that you miss out on something. You miss out on getting some aspects of God's character reflected in these people that are different from you. And I learned so much from them. From John, I learned a lot about social justice. He, I was from Texas, so my motto was like, God loves me, so he blesses me. Or like, God blesses those whom he loves, which I think is actually God disciplines those he loves. But, but, but I... I, I loved it. I was like, you know, the Lord blesses me. I'm going to treat, that was before treat yourself was a thing, but I'm going to treat myself to coffee, to all of these things. And then John, who at that point was going through this super intense, he had gone to this inner city camp in Philly, and he was so wrecked by that. And he had this vision for the church, which nobody else seemed to kind of get including me, because I think I was probably one of the worst culprits of that vision. So he would... Um, Challenge me, like, why are you buying shoes? I've been in your dorm room and you have a lot of them. Like, why? Why do you need this new pair of shoes? Like, what's the point of that? And I was shocked because to me, I'd never thought about that. And he was like, your money is not your money. And I was very, like, what? My money is, I worked for this money. But, but, he, would, but he would kind of challenge me, like, God has given you this money to steward. And how are you using? How are you going to be accountable to God on, on, you know, for, for these purchases? And it was, we were not even dating, we were just friends. So it was just, it was very challenging. But I think, um, and he still challenges me that way sometimes. But, but I think what the Lord did in that is that he just showed me this new aspect of who he was. That he's a God who values justice, who cares about the needy, who cares about the oppressed. Not in this easy way, but in this self-sacrificial way that's actually willing to say, how am I using my resources and it was very hard, and there were many tears shed, and sometimes there are tears still shed. Um, but it's been a really good process, and I learned so much about God's heart. And if I would have not interacted with him, I would have never gotten that. I would have kept going to my same friends back in Texas that were like me and would have kept going shopping, and I would have not been challenged. With Nifemi, 
I learned so much about <laughs> I learned so much about just discipline and faithfulness. I think I've never met someone who is as faithful as Nefemi. If she says she's going to be there, she shows up. My first year uh, in college, we were both youth leaders together. And after a semester, I was like, I'm out of here. You know, <laughs> this is a lot of time each Sunday. And she lovingly challenged me. She was like, I, I think she just told me, you need to come back to youth group. <laughs> but, but she said something along those lines. And... And it was convicting because I kind of thought about it. She was a chemistry major. I was a humanities major. And I thought, wow, she like, actually has less time in the week than I do because she has these two extra labs that take four hours a week. So what is she doing differently than me that she feels like, not that she feels that she has more time, but that she makes the time for this commitment. So that was so convicting. And I learned so much about God's faithfulness and discipline. And with Omar, he's not here this morning, but I learned so much through him about relationships. That man knows Everyone, if you go out with him to like coffee, he'll meet at least two other people that he knows, at least two. Um, and this is the case everywhere because he so values relationship and he so invests in people. And I think ultimately the point of this is just that as we encounter people that are different than us, they hold a special revelation of God's character. They hold a special understanding in their context of their culture of who God is. And if we're not interacting with these different people in a meaningful way, we're ultimately missing out on a part of who God is. So that's my prayer for us this morning. I'm going to pray for us as we, as we close here. So you can close your eyes and pray with me. Hmm. God, I thank you that when we think about what it means to encounter difference, we have you as an example, that you who were in very nature God did not consider equality as something to be grasped, but you humbled yourself, taking the form of a servant, and you became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, God. So I thank you, Lord, that you were not too scared of us humans, how we would be so different from you, but that you came and you lived amongst us, God. And I pray that we would have that same humility, God, that we would not consider ourselves uh, better than others, but that we would consider others' interests above our own, that we would approach culture with humility, that we would say, God, is that how, how do you feel about this? That we wouldn't just assume that our way of doing things is always the right way, but that we would ask you, what, what are you trying to do here? What do you think about time? What do you think about money? What do you think about justice? So I pray, God, that as a church, we would be people who are humbly walking with you and, and seeking to learn all that you have to offer for us in this diversity that we have. God, I thank you for Hilltop, that we are already a church, that for some reason that we're all here together, God, and I pray that you would give us a shared language around revelation of who you are, that together we would be able to, to walk into your fullness, God, and that you would continue to help us to value diversity beyond just sitting in a pew looking different, but in a meaningful way that we would interact with one another so that we could reflect to Cambridge and to Boston that there is something special in who you are and that you alone can orchestrate this type of meaningful diversity. So I thank you for who you are, and I pray this for our church. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.